So we are kicking off the 2017 week of fasting and prayer. I saw a, fo- uh, a post on Facebook recently that said, in the next 24 hours, God will bless you with plenty of money. Just type amen and share, and you've sealed the deal. It's all done, right? And, and below it, there were stacks of a picture of stacks of $100 bills. So I'm judging by your reaction that we've all seen these posts before. So how many people have seen the posts? How many people have typed amen and shared? I don't want to alarm anybody, but just as a side note, if you do like and share things on Facebook, occasionally your friends can see it too. So just a, just a word to the wise. Anyway. These posts, I, I don't know how you feel about them. They always kind of bothered me um, because for some people, I think this might be the extent of their interaction with God. And that interaction is, is quick, right? It's easy. It's impersonal. And I get what I want, right? And, and I, I really hope in my heart of hearts, but, I, you know, I can't help but kind of believe that some people, for some people, this is how they interact with God. This is their relationship with God. And, and I'm sorry because I know, I know we live in the digital age. But I hope that we all know that our, our relationship with God should be something more than um, just making a purchase on Amazon.com, for instance. I go to Amazon, and I, I'm a user of Amazon. I'm an Amazon Prime, so I'll get that out of the way right away. And I probably purchase certain things that I probably don't necessarily need from Amazon.com because it's so quick and easy, right? So I, I go to my Amazon app on my phone, and then there's a, you know, just an untold number of options to choose from. And uh, I can find what I want, and I can just order it literally within, like, two clicks. I just, there's a, a little buy it now thing that I just can't resist sometimes. And so two clicks, and that's all it is, and, and I've ordered it. Then, of course, with my membership, I know that I will receive my order within two days. Quick, easy, impersonal, but I get exactly what I want. You know, even though this uh, type of interaction would well, we might think at least that it would benefit our fast-paced, uh, always-on-the-go lifestyles. It's not what God desires, nor will we receive what we truly need. See, Jesus modeled a very different image of what a relationship with the Father should look like. And so today we are going to examine Jesus' relationship with the Father And hopefully we can uh, gain some insight as to what our relationship with him should look like as well. So we're going to begin in in Luke chapter 5, just reading one verse, verse 16. But let me set the stage while you're you're finding that verse in your your Bibles. Um, In Luke chapter 5, we read a a little bit about what Jesus was up to in his early um, days of public ministry. Uh, Beginning in verse 12 of this chapter, Luke uh, tells the story of how Jesus heals a man with leprosy. And so Luke records that after performing that miracle, news about Jesus continued to spread. 
and he began to attract large crowds. And so that leads us up to Luke 5.16. And the very next thing that Luke notes is curious, because it's kind of a shifting of gears, so to speak. After he's talking, after Luke notes that Jesus started to attract, started to attract large crowds, he says, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. So what can we get from that? In the midst of all the activity surrounding his public ministry, Jesus created space for alone time with the Father. I thought, as I read this passage, that the timing of Jesus' momentary departure was kind of curious. You know, he, here he was, he had just healed a man of leprosy, uh, he was performing miracles, um, he was attracting large crowds, people were, wanted to see him, wanted to interact with him, they wanted to hear what he had to say. His, his ministry was kind of gaining momentum here. For some of us, uh, experiencing success at, at whatever we uh, have put our minds to, this, this might be a motivator, Right? So we may, some of us at least, may have tried to push even harder, you know, to strike while the iron's hot, take advantage of the situation. For, other, for others of us, excuse me, uh, we may have been uh, uh, Martha, so to speak. Uh, we may have seen the crowds of people wanting to listen to our teaching or, or to be healed and thought, I, I can't stop now. Look at all these, these people. Uh, look at all the work that needs to be done. But instead, Jesus thought it important to stop and pray. But Luke's account does not lead us to believe that Jesus only stopped long enough to open up Facebook and and like or share a post. It says that, number one, that Jesus himself, himself, meaning no one else was with him, Jesus himself would slip away. Why? Because Jesus wanted to be alone with the Father. And then it says, not only did he, he, he himself slip away, but he slipped away to the wilderness to pray. You know, he could have ducked around a corner or in a house or, or somewhere else, but he went all the way out to the wilderness to pray, which would usually mean outside of the city gates and the city walls. So he wanted to go out to the wilderness to pray. I can only assume because he wanted to get away from all of the distractions around him. He wanted to eliminate all distractions during his time with the Father. Not only that, but Luke states that he would often do this. So this was not a one-time occurrence for Jesus, but often implies that this was a habit for him. He did it all the time. In fact, it only takes one chapter of Luke before we encounter another instance of Jesus going off to pray, right? So in the very next chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 6, Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he heals a man with a withered hand. And at that point in time, this was kind of one of his interactions with the scribes and the Pharisees. And he could have stayed there, and he could have you know, had this time of debate, as he often did with the Pharisees later on in his ministry. 
But again, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. So again, it only took a, a, a few short verses before Luke's already noting Jesus is off to pray again. This time we see Jesus again. He's going off alone to a quiet place without distraction to pray. And it states that he spent the whole night in prayer to God. The whole night. You see, Jesus did not seem to have a limit as to how much time he was willing to invest when it came to prayer. Ultimately, putting all these observations together, Jesus frequently took time out, even though he had crowds of people waiting to hear him speak or to be healed. He got away from all the distractions to spend time alone with the Father, and he didn't rush it. He didn't limit his prayer time. So we could come to the conclusion that Jesus' view of the purpose of prayer was not to get something from the Father, but to maintain intimacy with the Father. I hope that we all have that view of prayer. I hope that we all have that experience with our prayer lives. You see, if we continue to look at Jesus holistically, his whole life was really marked by this intimate relationship he had with the Father. And I believe that that same prayer life, that same interaction, that same intimate relationship is available to us as well. I mean, wasn't it Jesus that referred to the Father as Abba, as Daddy? That's a term of intimacy. In the Gospel of John, Jesus um, states several things uh, that give us uh, insight into his relationship with the Father. So in John, starting in, um, in chapter 5, in verse 19, he talks about how he only does what he sees the Father doing. He's imitating the Father. So when he's talking about, when he's doing his ministry and people are looking at him and asking about his ministry, he's saying, hey, I'm just seeing what I, I'm just doing what I see my Father do. Which reminds me of my intimate relationship with my sons. Even just the other day, now I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm necessarily proud of this, but uh, we were driving home from Meyer. Was it yesterday? Yesterday we were driving home from Meyer, and I, I can't remember what happened. I think I forgot something. And so I said, oh, shoot. And no, no sooner did I say, oh, shoot, than I heard from the back seat, shoot, shoot, shoot. It was my one-and-a-half-year-old, and, and he instantly parroted what I said. And I'm like, okay, reminder, i got to watch what I say. <laughs> But Jesus is saying it's a, he has that same relationship with the Father, this intimate father-son relationship where he's saying, look, everything that I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing it because that's what I saw my father doing, intimacy. A little bit further in that same chapter, uh, John chapter 5, in verse 30, he talks about how he's, he's, what he's doing, he's not acting according to his own will, but he's doing his father's will, right? He's... He's not, only, he's not even acting on his own accord. The things that he's doing, the ministry that he has, 
is inspired by the Father and what the Father wants. He's motivated, motivated by his Father's will. And then later in, uh, in John chapter 8, uh, verse 28, again, he kind of communicates the same idea. The things that he says, he says, the, the things I speak, the things I speak, my Father taught me to speak. Right? I got this from my interaction, from my intimate relationship with the Father. And then, of course, this all comes to culmination, and I, I believe in Luke chapter 22, going back to the Gospel of Luke, when uh, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and he prays to his Father, and he's praying to his Father again all night, and he's expressing real emotion, real, real anxiety, real fear, and he's expressing this to the Father, and he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. You see this real intimate interaction between Jesus and the Father, and he's just basically pouring his heart out to God, saying, I'm not sure I'm ready to do this. I'm not sure I want to do this, but I'm going to do this because it's your will. But he felt free to express his emotion in that moment and pour out his heart to the Father. Now, Scripture as a whole bears witness to a God who has relentlessly pursued relationship with man, right? We can see that from Adam and Eve till today. Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 27, God created man in his image. He created us to be like him in order to have relationship with us. He's spoken and interacted with man throughout history. Right? The Bible is a record of God's interaction, his relationship uh, with man, with mankind. He's made covenants with us, right? Old, from the Old Testament, he's made covenants with us, and now we're living in the, the new covenant, right? He's made covenants, agreements with us, binding agreements with us. And then, of course, he sent his only begotten son to die so that we could overcome the one and only thing that would permanently separate us from having a true relationship with God, and that's sin. But God does not want a Facebook relationship with us. He wants an intimate relationship with us. But the world, the world we live in today, I think we can all, if we all kind of, you know, if you just, thought back of how this past week went. We can see that we live in a world today that throws more distractions at us, puts more obstacles in our way than ever before. You see, we're made to believe that we need to have or do certain things in order to be happy. And the world and media in particular bombards us so much with these images and with these ideas that we really start to believe it. And they also tell us, the media tells us, the world tells us that um, everyone else has these things or everyone else are, is doing these things. And that if we're, we don't have those same things or we're not doing those same things, that there's something wrong with us. That we're somehow weird or strange or, or that we're not living as, a, as fulfilled a life as these other people. 
So what do we do? We end up working more to have more, right? We work more to have more. And then once we're done working, we commit ourselves to activities, right, for, for maybe us or, or maybe for our children. And those activities use up much of the time that's left after work. I remember being in, in sports activities when I was younger, and I feel like in today's world, sports activities require more of families, more of parents, more time, more travel, more money than ever before. And then finally, if there's any time left after all that, digital media is there to scoop it up and claim it. But whatever free time we have left after all those activities, all the work, uh, everything else, we're there on digital media. Maybe ordering something off of Amazon. And I do believe that there are these things. There's things that distract us daily. But if we look at the just... Um, the cycles that we go through of life, I think there's generally two seasons we go through each year where we have even greater distraction. And then those, those two seasons of greater distraction are usually followed by two shorter seasons of us attempting to refocus on the things that we neglected while we are allowing ourselves to be distracted. So let me explain. Two seasons of great distraction. The holiday season, starting with Thanksgiving, going all the way through New Year. And then the other season of great distraction is summer, especially marked by summer break from school. We're distracted all summer long, with, with, especially in Wisconsin, because we're trying to squeeze in so many outdoor activities and things that we can't do in the wintertime. We're trying to pack it all into a few months when the kids are out of school and, and we can go and we have the freedom to do things. We're distracted, especially during those two seasons of the year. And then think about it. Those two seasons are usually marked by um, two seasons of us attempting to, oh, wait, let's get it all back together. Let's get back on track. Let's refocus here. Back to school. That's a season where we see everybody. Okay, let's refocus. Let's Let's get back to the fundamentals. What are we supposed to be doing here? Back to school time. That's where we refocus. And then, of course, the beginning of New Year, right? New Year's resolutions. That's our attempt to refocus, to get back to the fundamentals, to get back to all the things that we've allowed um, to go by the wayside while we've been distracted by the holiday season. So here we are at the beginning of a new year. And not by coincidence, we are at the beginning of a week of Fasting and prayer at the church. Because, why? Because this is a time where we all naturally, you know, we've gotten through the holiday season. Most of us, at least, have taken their Christmas decorations down by now. Maybe not all of us. And there's a few of you stragglers, right? And this is a time where we naturally begin to try and refocus and so, because we're within one of these two short seasons of refocus, um, I hope, we hope, that this week is not just a Facebook like and share moment in comparison to the rest of the year, but that it really sets the tone for the rest of the year. 
If you recall, um, as a church, we've been putting an emphasis on spiritual formation and really spiritual transformation, right? Spiritual transformation happens through the triangle of transformation, right? The triangle of transformation. How many people know what I'm talking about here? All right. I knew it. And one of the steps in the triangle of transformation is soul training exercises, right? Soul training exercises, which includes fasting and prayer. According to James Bryan Smith, who's the author of the Good and Beautiful God series, these are practices that train and transform our hearts. So fasting and prayer are practices that train and transform our hearts. So prayer as a soul training exercise, its intention is really to deepen our intimacy with God. And I believe that it's only through an intimate relationship with God that we can really come to know and trust Him. And in turn, that He can work in our hearts to bring true transformation and transformational change to our lives. That's the only way. Now, along with that, we have fasting, right? And, and fasting, to some extent, is really training our hearts and really our flesh to ignore the distractions while we're seeking after God. We're telling our flesh that we're not going to allow you to distract us. Even if I'm in the middle of prayer and, and my stomach starts grumbling, I'm going to keep praying. Right? Even if, even if I hear my cell phone ding because I got some sort of like or share or something on Facebook, I'm going to leave my phone just sit there. I'm training my flesh to say, flesh, you're not in control here. I have some things that I want to accomplish in my relationship with God, and I'm not going to allow you to distract me from that. So fasting, we're putting our flesh in its place. Now, you may be thinking about past attempts to gain intimacy with God through prayer. You're, maybe, maybe you're thinking over your, your past prayer life with God. And, and maybe there's some of you that you know, might feel that you've been a little unsuccessful, especially with really gaining uh, intimate time with God. And I would say to that that it's, it's good to look back at those experiences. Uh, we, we shouldn't be discouraged by them, but we should really examine them and learn from them. I would ask you um, to examine your past prayer life. Did it contain the same elements of Jesus' prayer life? Let's be honest, did it? Does our relationship with the Father look like Jesus' relationship with the Father? Is it close? Are we pretty far off? Where are we at? Did you uh, create space? I, I like how James Bryan Smith puts that. Uh, did you create space for prayer amidst all the busyness and distractions of life? Did you do it often enough? Did you slip away to be alone with God? Did you eliminate any distractions 
like digital media? What is your what is your relationship with God like? And again, I think it's healthy for us to examine these things because we are at the beginning of a week of prayer and fasting. And God is sharing his word with us this morning. And I believe this is Holy Spirit inspired that he wants us to take a look at the life of Jesus and his interaction, his intimate relationship with the Father and say, I'm supposed to be like Jesus. And if that's what his relationship with the Father looks like, then I need to be imitating that. So, if you feel like you did all these things and you still did not get to a point of real intimacy, I'm going to encourage you still not to be discouraged. I think there's still one uh, element to prayer, to this intimate life of prayer with God that needs to be discussed, and that's persistence. I believe that praying often, as Jesus did, implied being persistent. We need to be persistent. I believe that if you can be persistent at creating space to be alone with God, often eliminating distractions, you will come to experience a new and life-giving level of intimacy with God. We need to be persistent. Anything really worthwhile in life takes effort, right? And most likely involves a struggle. That includes coming to a point of intimacy with God. So, Ruth Haley Barton in her book, uh, Sacred Rhythms, some of you are familiar with this book as well, uh, she describes a, a process during which intimacy with God deepens gradually. So this is generally how it happens in the life of a believer. And when I read this, I thought it was interesting because I could say that this is kind of how it happened with me. She says that in the early stages of a believer's prayer life, we experience intimacy with God through the words we say to him. In other words, when we're younger, newer Christians, we tend to do most of the talking, right, when we're, when we're spending time with God. We have a lot to say. We have a lot of, we have a lot of concerns that we want to share with God. And we do uh, a lot of talking and not so much listening. And maybe at that point, we don't even realize how to listen to God, how to hear his voice. So we're doing the only other thing that comes naturally to us, which is the talking part. So in the beginning, we're just talking, 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 talking. So during the next stage, we get to a stage where we want to explore what has been said about God. And and that's our communication. That's our intimacy with God. We do a lot of Bible studies. We do a lot of readings. Um, We read books. We read Scripture. We try to memorize Scripture. And through all of the information that we're gathering, we begin to start to reflect and reflect deeply about what we have learned. So as we're learning things during our prayer time, maybe we're not doing as much talking, but maybe we're doing some wondering and some questioning. Like, God, is this, is this really true? Are, are you really like this? Do I have this right? Do I have this wrong? And so you're really finding out about God. And you're studying about God. And that's, your, that's where you're, you're at spiritually um, with your relationship with God. 
And I do remember that too. I remember, you know, uh, coming to a point where maybe I wasn't doing quite as much talking, but I was reading a lot. I was reading a lot of scripture and, you know, anybody who is kind of newer to the faith, when you're reading a lot of scripture, you start to have a lot of questions. And you start to say, I wonder what that means. I wonder what they meant by that. I wonder what, how does that fit in with that? And, you know, so you, you spend some of your, your time with God, quiet time alone with God, maybe just saying, God, is this, do I have this right? And then she says that after this stage, we often reach a period where our prayer life seems to go dry or, or become dry or cold. Um, and that when we're in this space, we've come to a point where we've talked a lot to God, we've studied a lot about God, and these things no longer seem to satisfy us anymore. So we're, you know, we come to this point where we're praying and we're, and even, you know, we're doing all the things that we know to do. And so she says that a lot of times this can even be frustrating for believers because you're doing everything that you know to do. You're talking to God, you're sharing your concerns, you're, you're praying about things, you're asking him for things. You're saying, I'm studying the Bible and I read this and I read that. And, and it seems like those times of where you set aside time with God, they're, they're kind of cold and dry. You're not, you're like, it's like you're not getting anything. And so she says this can really be frustrating for people because we are. We're, we're making the effort. We're trying to do what we know to do during that time. But if we remain persistent during this stage... We come to learn that we need to move beyond just communication to communion. We move from beyond communication to communion. Now this stage may not even involve words, but just spending intimate time alone with God, simply being in his presence. And let me tell you, if you can get to this stage in your relationship with God, intimacy with God, it's an awesome place to be. Some of my best prayer times I spend um, at work um, during my lunch break, and I just lock myself into a meeting room, and I don't say anything. And I just sit there, and I'm aware of his presence. And sometimes that, those times are so sweet that I go back from lunch late. <laughs> but seriously, it's so good. I, you know, I don't even care. I just want to stay there. I could stay there all afternoon. I don't want those times to end. And it's not that, it's not that um, I'm talking to God. Or necessarily even that he's talking back to me. It's not that I'm studying about God or reading about God. It's just that I am spending time with God in his presence. We're both present and we've come to a place of intimacy where we don't have to say a word. We can just enjoy being with one another. There's no awkward silences. It's just me and him and I really enjoy it. And I hope that some of you have come to that place um, with God as well. 
And if you haven't, I would encourage you, you can get there. God wants everybody to be there. So uh, I want to read a couple excerpts from um, a book called The Practice of the Presence of God by, by uh, a man named Brother Lawrence who was a monk. And this, if you're not familiar with Brother Lawrence, this, this, this brother, he was a monk and, and he was just noted for having this intimate relationship with God. And, and sometimes you could just see it on people, right? You just know you know, they don't have to say anything. But you just know that this person has an intimate relationship with God. You can just tell something about them. You just can just tell. And this is one of those people, you know, and, and people always wondered, you know, what what is it about him? And somebody, so some uh, part of this book is written about uh, Brother Lawrence after, after he passed, and some of it was his own words. So this portion was written about him, and it says, that his prayer was nothing else but a sense of the presence of God. His soul being at that time insensible to everything but divine love. He, he, didn't, he wasn't aware, aware of anything else around him. He was completely focused on God's presence. And that when the appointed times of prayer were passed, because of course he was a monk, he was in a monastery, um, they had prescribed times of day where they were supposed to pray and do things. He found no difference because he still continued with God, praising and blessing him with all his might so that he passed his life in continual joy. And I can assure you that if you come to have these experiences with God, even if you have to move on with your day, you move on with this sense of peace and joy that is indescribable. I think I come back to lunch, from lunch sometimes and people wonder what the heck I was doing. But that's a good thing, right? We're supposed to be a peculiar people. So let me encourage you. Let, let this week of fasting and prayer mark the beginning of a life of creating space to maintain an intimate relationship with God. We need to remember how Jesus modeled maintaining intimacy with the Father for us. He often made time to be alone with God, free from distractions. We need to remember that it is a process and that we need to be persistent. And our prayer life will go from talking to God to communing with God. And that through this, this is the place where real, true soul transformation will take place. Amen? I want to share one other excerpt, and this is written by Brother Lawrence. He says, I cannot imagine how religious persons can live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. For my part, I keep myself retired with him in the depth of of center of my soul as much as I can. And while I am so with him, I fear nothing. But the least turning from him is insupportable. I pray for 2017 that that's not just Brother Lawrence's quote, but that's that we could all be quoted saying the same thing. Because I can assure you that if you can get to that level of intimacy with God, which is what he intends anyways, you will be blessed more than you could ever imagine. That God will be able to work on your heart and in your life 
And you will experience transformation in a good and positive way. And you will be more like Christ. Not only by your actions, but in your intimacy with God. So what I'd like to do, if, if uh, you guys could come up and just play something, I'd like to take, I think we should, it's, it's appropriate that we uh, start off a week of fasting and prayer with some prayer. Call me crazy. But I want to I wanna open up this time, these altars. Let's spend some time starting off our, our year of intimacy with God and our week of fasting and prayer with some time alone with God.